When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you want to build a dividend stock portfolio, but maybe you aren't sure exactly where to start. What I want to do today is cover a few topics you should think about prior to starting this portfolio and give you an example of how to build an actual portfolio. If you already have a dividend portfolio, I think this information may still be useful because it's never too late to make small tweaks and improvements to your existing portfolio. I periodically look at my portfolio and evaluate whether it's structured in an optimal way to meet my long-term goals, and I make minor tweaks and adjustments to steer back on course if necessary. The best place to start when building a portfolio is to have a simple long-term goal for this portfolio. You want to ask yourself what you would like this portfolio to achieve in the short term and in the long run. For example, you can have a desired level of dividend income you would like this portfolio to produce, or you could expect to achieve a target rate of return over X number of years. Our goals will differ as they are tailored to our specific situation and long-term plans. My goals for my personal portfolio are to have a 12% annualized rate of return when measured over a long period of time. For me, that's at least 5 years. Another goal for my portfolio is to have an above-average dividend growth rate when compared to long-term inflation. Ideally, I want to see a 10% plus dividend growth rate for the next several years, and for that growth rate to plateau in the 6-8% range in the long run. I personally do not have a target dividend yield right now, as I do not intend to use the dividend income produced by my portfolio for the next 2-3 decades. All of my dividends are reinvested back into the portfolio. I presume that once I start getting close to retirement, I will have a more defined goal around specific dividend yield or a range I would like to transition my portfolio to. It's a good idea to write down these goals and look at them every few months to see if they still make sense to you. It's perfectly normal for your goals to change over time and for you to adjust your portfolio to better match your new goals. Once you have your goals planned out, it's time to think about the target dividend yield and dividend growth rate you want to aim for. Ideally, your goals will include these two metrics or at least give you a range to work with. I have found that it's better to aim for a range than a specific target. Shooting for a 3-4% dividend yield will give you more flexibility compared to aiming for a specific number like 4%. Dividend yields and dividend growth rates will also fluctuate based on market movements, so it may be difficult to maintain a narrow target. Let's stick with a 3-4% dividend yield target for now, and a 6-8% dividend growth rate on a portfolio level. Measuring these two metrics on a portfolio level gives you flexibility to choose from a wider pool of securities to construct your portfolio because now you can mix a few high-yielding dividend stocks that may not offer much capital appreciation in the future with a few low-yielding but faster-growing stocks and still meet your target yield for the portfolio. I'll tell you right now that you should not select a stock for its dividend yield or its dividend growth rate alone. When you consider which companies you would like to have in your portfolio, your main consideration should be the quality of the business and its long-term trajectory. After that, and only after that, you can eliminate or add companies based on dividend yield or dividend growth. So once you have a target range for your dividend yield and dividend growth for the portfolio, you will want to think about how many companies should be included in this portfolio. There's a whole bunch of information online on the ideal number of stocks to own, ranging from 10 to 50 and anything in between. In my opinion, there is no ideal number, at least not for everyone. I think this decision is based on your preference, and again, I think you are better off with a range of stocks versus a specific number. For example, you could decide to own 20 to 30 companies versus having a hard stop at only 20 companies. What if you really like 23 businesses? Are you really not going to own 3 of them because some rule of thumb tells you 20 is the optimal number? I believe you should have as few or as many companies as you like. Keep in mind though that having few companies increases the risk that if you select the wrong companies, they will have a larger impact on your overall portfolio. 
And if you pick too many companies, it may be a burden to stay up to date on what's going on with all these businesses. I would say that you should start with no fewer than 10 companies, and limit the total at a number you feel comfortable with. I personally own around 70 unique companies at any given time. They aren't all equally weight in my portfolio, but we will get to setting an asset allocation in a little bit. Something to consider here as well is the amount of capital you are starting with. If you are starting fresh with $0, it's much easier to start with a smaller number of companies and add new ones down the road. If you already have a large amount of capital that you will commit to this portfolio, there can be tax implications from shifting your money in the future. So if you are starting from zero, just go ahead and start with 10 or 20 companies and build on this portfolio over time. And if you start with a larger chunk of money, give this step more thought, and really plan out the companies you would like to own for a long period of time. More planning can save you money in the long run. I typically see newer investors rush into the market because they don't want to miss returns, and they want to start seeing the dividends roll in as soon as possible. But you really shouldn't rush this process. A few days or a few weeks will really have minimal impact on your long-term results. And you can save yourself from a big tax burden just by spending a little bit more time planning ahead. You may also be thinking that the market being so volatile now is not the ideal time to start a portfolio, and you'd be wrong. According to Warren Buffett, the best time to invest was yesterday. And what Mr. Buffett means is that we don't know what will happen in the market tomorrow, or next week, or even a year from now. But we can speculate with a high level of confidence that 5 years or 10 years from now, the stock market will be higher than it is today. It's highly unlikely that you'll be able to time your entry into the market perfectly. And for the vast majority of investors, the best option is to invest when you can and however much you can, and keep doing this for a long period of time. If you do this for a long time, some of your contributions will time the market perfectly, and others will be awful, but when you average them out, you'll be somewhere in the middle. And if the market always goes up in the long run, you'll come out ahead. Okay, so for the sake of my example portfolio here, I'm going to say we will start out with 10 companies, and plan to build this portfolio out to 20 or 30 companies in the long run. The next decision we need to make is the asset allocation. Do we want to equally allocate our capital across all the companies we select, or do we give a few preferential treatment? Again, there is no right or wrong option here, and it comes down to our personal preference. If you don't feel confident selecting which companies may perform better in the future, stick with an equal weight allocation. And if you have high confidence in several of the companies you selected, then play around with the asset allocation. So if we have a portfolio of 10 companies, then under the equal weight approach, each company would have a 10% allocation. If you want to mix this up a bit, you can take a few percentage points from the low conviction selections and assign them to the high conviction selections. The larger the weight of any company in your portfolio is, the bigger the impact it will have on your overall portfolio performance. If you look at most funds and indices, they are not equally weighed. A popular approach for index funds is to weigh stocks based on market cap. The larger the business, the higher the exposure it has in the portfolio. I would personally not recommend you follow a market cap weighted asset allocation approach, but instead focus on your own opinion of which company has a brighter future. For example, if you own Apple and Walmart, but you think Apple will grow much faster than Walmart in the next decade, you may want to assign a higher allocation to Apple in your portfolio compared to Walmart. If you start with a portfolio of only 10 companies, the allocation to each will be sizable no matter what. But if the number of your holdings expands to 20 or 30, the equal weight allocation will become much smaller, and then you may want to give more thought to having outsized positions. Another way to think about it, and something I personally practice, is to have a moving asset allocation based on current valuation. For example, I set individual target allocations based on how attractive I believe a given company is right now. If I think a company is undervalued, I will allow it to go beyond a preset target allocation until the valuation corrects. At any given point in time, I will have several companies with this above target allocation allowance. Currently, the market is very volatile, and I believe many of the companies I own are undervalued. As a result, I set their target allocations higher than normal to allow me to capitalize on the opportunity. Whether this works out in my favor is to be seen in the future which is why I also set a target allocation to each stock to prevent me from investing too much money into one position 
On the off chance my investment thesis proves to be inaccurate. That's just what I do, and it's not something you need to follow if it doesn't make sense to you. Okay, so by now we should know what dividend yield we want to aim for, the level of dividend growth we desire, and the approximate number of companies we would like to start with. The next step is to actually select the companies we want to include in our portfolio. There are several ways you can approach the selection process. What I would recommend is to start with the best and safest dividend stocks and work your way out from this narrow pool. You can start by looking at the Dividend King and Dividend Aristocrat lists that are about 70 of the safest dividend growth stocks on the market. Scan these lists looking for companies you already know, because if you're already familiar with the business, it'll be much easier for you to judge their quality and long-term trajectory. You don't have to limit yourself to just the companies you know, but it's a good place to start with. Start writing down a few names for further review, and once you have a decent shortlist you can start your due diligence. You'll want to go online and review historical financial statements to make sure the business is growing, profitable, and maintaining a healthy balance sheet. You'll also want to see what analysts are forecasting for the next several years, as well as management expectations. The final thing you want to look at is the dividend yield and growth history. Jot these two figures down next to the company name if you still like the business after your review. You'll also want to jot down the sector the business operates in for when we actually make our selections later. After you're done looking at the dividend aristocrats and dividend kings, you can expand your search to the thousands of other dividend stocks in the market. There are many authors on Seeking Alpha and on YouTube that talk about their top dividend stocks. You can use these resources for ideas to review, or you can use stock screeners as another selection method. This process can be time intensive, but you definitely want to commit this time to make sure you're going to be comfortable with the companies you can ultimately invest in. If you want your initial portfolio to include 10 companies, I would jot down at least 15 companies that you like and their dividend information, sector, and any notes about future prospects you may have. Once you have this shortlist of 15 or more companies, it's time to narrow it down to just 10. Here you will want to pay attention to the dividend yield, dividend growth, and sector to make sure your portfolio is spread across a few sectors and will meet your dividend yield and dividend growth target range. If you're unable to meet your dividend yield or dividend growth targets, you'll need to go back and find more suitable companies to review or settle for a lower target. You may also find that it's difficult to select just 10 companies from your shortlist, in which case having a range versus a target number of companies to own may be a better option. Once you have your list of companies to include in your portfolio, you just have to determine the optimal asset allocation and fund the portfolio. Okay, so let's build a sample portfolio from the Dividend Aristocrats and Kings right now. I selected 10 Dividend Aristocrats that everyone should be familiar with. They are AbbVie, A.O. Smith, Clorox, Johnson & Johnson, Lowe's, Next Era Energy, Realty Income, Sherwin-Williams, Target, and T. Rowe Price Group. The average dividend yield for these 10 companies today is 2.9% and they have a trailing 5-year dividend growth rate of 12.19%. So an equal weight asset allocation will not satisfy our dividend yield range of 3-4%, but the historical dividend growth rate of 12.19% is above our target 6-8%. What we can do is play around with the allocation a bit to see if we can squeeze a little bit more yield out of this portfolio. I see that I have two healthcare stocks and two consumer discretionary stocks, but only one stock for every other sector. So what I can do is take two percentage points away from each of the healthcare stocks and the consumer discretionary stocks leaving me with still an oversized allocation to the sector, and I can assign these percentage points to some of the higher yielding stocks from unique sectors. So let's tack on 2 percentage points to Clorox that yields 3.36%, and 2% more to Tyrrell that yields 4.28%, and I'm going to add the final 4% to Realty Income that yields 4.69%. This brings the portfolio dividend yield to 3.01%, just barely above my initial target range, and it reduces the historical dividend growth rate by about a half a percent, but leaving it well above our initial target range. This is just one option. Another option would be to go back and look at other dividend aristocrats and kings in the materials sector, since Sherwin-Williams offers the lowest dividend yield in this portfolio right now. Maybe I can find another company from this sector that I like equally as much, but one that has a better dividend yield today. 
I would personally be content with a 3% starting dividend yield, even if it's on the lower end of my range. But everyone will be different, and you should tweak this portfolio until you are comfortable with how it looks and what it offers. Another step you can take before you actually put your portfolio in place and fund it, you can go online and run a backtest simulation to see how this portfolio would have performed historically. This can give you an idea of what you can expect in the long run. While history doesn't always repeat itself, mature blue chip stocks tend to have steady results for a long period of time. I backtested my sample portfolio of the 10 dividend aristocrats we just looked at. I tested both an equal weight allocation and the modified one that brought the initial portfolio yield above 3%. The equal weighted allocation actually performed a little better, with a compounded annual growth rate of 17.09% between 2013 and August of 2022, so almost a full 10-year period. The modified allocation was very close, with a compounded annual growth rate of 16.54%. Both of these long-term returns are actually very good, and well above what the S&P produced during the same time period. In terms of dividend income, both allocations were about equal for all 10 years. The modified allocation paid a little bit more in dividends for the first 5 years, but the equal weight allocation paid more dividends in the last 5 years. The margin was never more than $5. So honestly, the small shift in yield we made by tweaking the allocation really had minimal effect on the dividend income this portfolio produced. Well, I hope this helped answer some of the questions you may have had about building your own dividend portfolio, and gave you a few things to think about as well. Whether or not you already have a portfolio, it's a good idea to evaluate your short and long-term goals, and make small shifts to your portfolio to align them with these goals. Like I said in the beginning, I tweak my portfolio all the time, and I foresee that I will continue to do so as my goals change over the years. I know many new investors focus on valuation and trying to buy stocks at attractive prices, but it takes years to master this art, and some people never become good at it. I would recommend that you don't focus too much on valuations, but more on the companies you include in your portfolio. If you focus on quality and dollar cost average for a long time, you should do just fine.